Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. Thanks for setting aside this time in your week to come together and worship with the body. Um, it's, it's a really important part of our discipleship journey is to be together as family. And uh, we're uh, in our series in the book of Romans, and the movement to the book of Romans is courtroom to living room. Uh, that's really the, the, the picture that, that, <clears throat> that develops as we, as, we, as we read this book and as, it, as that picture continues to, to take shape for us. And um, I just want to give you a, a recap to just remind you of where we have been uh, in this series so far. Because we, we, we asked this, this question at the very beginning, uh, this question of what sort of tale have we fallen into? What sort of story have we fallen into here? What's going on? What's the subplot here to the book of Romans, this letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome? And it really begins as Paul, in his missionary journeys, he's, he's sent from this home church of Antioch, and he's planting churches, as a picture behind me, behind me shows you, he's planting churches in Turkey and, and Syria and, uh, and Greece, and he's planting all these churches, and he's, he's done this for, for many years, and now he wants to go to Spain, and he wants to plant churches there. He wants to declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Spain. But he needs a new home base. He needs a new Antioch, so to speak. One that's closer to Spain. So he has his eyes set on, uh, on the country of Italy, uh, and specifically the, the, the city of Rome in which there is a church. He wants that to be his home base from which he can go and, and, and then go and plant churches uh, there in Spain and, uh, and in the western uh, Mediterranean. So that, that's what's going on there. Yet the, the church itself, Rome, is in a bit of conflict because in about AD 51, the emperor uh, expelled all Jews uh, from Rome because of, of disputes and conflict that was happening in the city. And they're gone. The Gentiles are in the church. They're running the church. Five years later, there's an emperor, new emperor, and he allows the Jews to come back to Rome. And as the, the Jewish believers come back to, to Rome, there's conflict in the church. There's, a, there's racial tension. There's just this, this, uh, this strife that has gotten into the, this particular church. And so Paul needs this, this home base, but it needs to be a healthy home base. So he writes to them, uh, sharing the dream, inviting them to join him. And then he, what he does is he opens up this gospel so that they will, they will be transformed by this good news of the gospel. So that's sort of the, 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 the subplot of what's happening in this book. And as we've been going along, uh, Susie got us, got us kicked off in that, that first uh, chapter, the first half of chapter one, and talked about how Paul saw himself as a slave of, the, of, the, of Jesus Christ. That he was attached to Christ in declaring this, this gospel uh, to all people who haven't heard. And if you uh, have been watching these words kind of show up here on the platform, uh, that first, uh, first message that Susan gave, she talked about faith and about not being ashamed of the gospel and about the good news. And, uh, and then we got to the, the second half of chapter one and I talked to you about uh, really, the, really the, now we're starting to step into the courtroom and see some of the hard things because we got like uh, dark minds, we've got foolish ideas and judgment, wrath of God. And we talked about the fact that end of Romans chapter one, that people are replacing God. That they have chosen to ignore God, even though he's, he's obvious. They've chosen to ignore him, and they're replacing him. And so God is handing us over. He's, he's, he's giving us over to what we want, uh, to, uh, to sinful desire, shameful lust, and a depraved mind. And it's there we quoted a man by the name of Whitaker uh, Chambers, who says, Man without God is a beast, and never more beastly when, than when he is most intelligent about his beastliness. 
We got into chapter 2, and Brian last week talked to us about this, this move uh, in the book of Romans, where chapter 1, it was all they, they, they. It was the, the other people. Uh, the other people that Paul's talking about. Then Romans chapter 2, uh, Paul pulls a fast one on us, and he says, no, it's actually you I'm talking to. Uh, you, therefore, have no excuse. And Brian told that great story of uh, the woman who's sitting in the jury box, and she's on a case uh, to judge credit card fraud. And even as the, she's sitting on, the, uh, on this case, she, she's reached down and stolen someone's credit card. And she's shopping on breaks and lunch breaks. And, uh, and she gets arrested uh, even as she's sitting in the jury box. Uh, that here she is engaging in the very things that she is judging uh, a defendant on. And Brian made a great point for us. He told us that, that uh, we are not the judge. We're not even in the jury box. We are on trial. We are the defendant. And, uh, and, and, and this week we're going to wrap up chapter 2 and go into the chapter 3. But you know, you know how you watch the weather at night or you, you, or you, watch the, you check out the weather on, maybe on your phone or on the internet and you, you kind of get this visual picture of, of, of what's, what to expect as far as weather? Um, you know, what if the book of Romans was sort of like that? Uh, here's kind of how it's been shaping up, all right? Let's get a little weather forecast here, because uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, uh, we had sunshine, you know, we got Jesus, we got good news, not ashamed of the gospel, we need to declare the gospel, and then we get to verse 18, and man, the lightning is striking, and you can hear the th- thunder kind of shaking things up, and then we get to, uh, to Romans chapter 2, and it's more rain, you know, about you have therefore have no excuse, and here's, here's the forecast for today's message. More rain uh, as we go from chapter 2 into chapter 3. But, but here's the deal. Here's the forecast for next week. We got a cloud break, all right? We got a cloud break coming. Uh, that there is, we're going to have some breaks of sun. There's going to be a lot of rain, but we're going to have some sun that's going to appear in here because we're, we're in the courtroom. Paul is he's specifically taking us to the courtroom to make sure we understand who we really are. Because until we understand who we are, the good news won't be all that good. But when we understand just our true state before a holy and righteous judge, when we make the move and we understand salvation and all that it means, boy, it just takes on a whole new depth of meaning. And worship flows out of our hearts. So that's, that's really been the movement, the, the weather in, in, in the book of Romans. Now, in the, in the text we're going to look at today, what Paul's going to do is he's going to state his case. He's going he's to wrap up the, the case, and he's going to leave us at a point in the courtroom where we're standing there as the defendant with nothing to say. Our mouth has been silenced. There's nothing we can say on our behalf because nobody is righteous. Just listen to the words from chapter 3. Uh, Verse 10, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now listen to some of the metaphors that he's quoting here. He says, Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. And you can almost hear Paul saying at that point, case closed. But here's the deal. There are some people in Rome who would hear this letter being read and they would say, no, wait, wait a minute. That, that stuff, you know, it's, it, it's true, but it, it just doesn't apply to me. And this applies to other people. This doesn't apply to me. And what Paul is going to do in this, in this text we're looking at today is he is going to make it very clear that nobody is righteous. And this, this difficult news that he's been writing about applies to everyone. So before we, we look at that and read that text, would you uh, pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the gift of being able to be in this place. You have blessed us. Um, thank you for this room, this facility that we may be able to come to. Thank you for your presence. Uh, thank you for gifted musicians who lead us in worship. Thank you for just the, the blessings that we have. We, we know we are a blessed people. And Lord, as we come to your word, we're reminded again that we're blessed. We hold in our hands the scriptures. Lord, we, we have the beginning and the end in our hands. And your word is living and active as your spirit just breathes into us and teaches us and speaks us and confronts us and comforts us. So we'd ask you, Holy Spirit, to continue to do that today. We ask that you give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, Father. Open hearts to receive the seed of your word, fertile soil in our hearts, that it might germinate and bring forth fruit to your, your good name. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. In my weakness, Lord, would you be strong? I pray this in your name. Amen. There is a show that's been on TV now for quite some time. It's actually in its 23rd season uh, most TV shows uh, don't have that kind of shelf life. Uh, this particular TV show does. It's the TV show Survivor. Now, anyone in the room want to be willing uh, to admit that they watch the show Survivor? Because I do. Uh, I will admit it. Uh, so many of you don't. Uh, here, here's really the, the, the nutshell of the story Survivor. I mean the, the show Survivor. Uh, Survivor is this, this, this contest that's on TV. It's a reality TV show. <laughs> it's not really real, but it's, it's, it's reality show in which there's a group of people who have been selected, and they, they come from all walks of life, and uh, they're, they're, they come together, and they go to either a remote island or some difficult place to live like the desert or the tropics, and, uh, and as they get there, the large group is then divided into two groups, uh, these two groups are called tribes, and, uh, and, and what happens on the show Survivor is the, the goal is, is that the, the, this, these, this group of people is going to be whittled down until the one person is the sole survivor, and uh, that person then wins a lot of money, and the goal is to outwit, outlast, outplay everyone else. And how that happens initially is you have these two tribes, and uh, they have these challenges, um, there's these physical challenges, um, and, uh, and the two tribes battle it out. And the tribe that loses uh, that particular night has to go to their version of the courtroom, uh, tribal council. And they go to tribal council, and they have a job on their hands. And the job on their hands is that they have to vote someone off the island or off the show. Someone's going to be removed. Someone's going to be evicted. 
And so it gets pretty tense if you're watching the show because people are wondering if, if, if they're it. Are they the ones who's going to be removed because you're trying to make it to the end and, and, and win the big bucks? Uh, so people are making their way to the to tribal council, council and they're wondering if they're going to be voted because there's a lot of deceit. There's all kinds of treachery. It's a pretty unique little Darwinian model of society. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really it's kind of interesting to watch. And people are very nervous and they're wondering what's going to happen. They're hoping it's not them. Uh, and, and, and if your name shows up on the ballot, the, the most amount of times you have majority vote and your name is there, you're, you're kicked off. And so that's why people are so afraid. And, and as you're going, you're going to be afraid unless, unless you have immunity. Okay? Immunity, in the early stages of the show, what happens is that there are clues left and somewhere around your camp there's like this, this immunity idol, they call it, and if you discover it and find it, it's yours to play at the right time, and so if it's in your pocket and you're headed to tribal council, everyone else is afraid, wondering if they're going to be voted out, and if you happen to have your name show up on that ballot the, the, most of the time uh, and you have played your immunity idol, guess what? You're safe. You're not going to be kicked off. You can walk with all kinds of confidence and security to tribal council knowing that you are safe because you have immunity. Now Paul, he's writing to this church in Rome and he's talking about all this judgment, all these these lightning bolts and thunder and all this rain and there are people who are hearing this letter read to them and what they're thinking to themselves is this all this stuff applies to other people it doesn't apply to us because we have immunity and what paul is going to tell this group of people and by the by the way these are the jews the Jews who are saying, this doesn't apply to us. We, we get a free pass. We've sort of got the golden ticket. We've got immunity. And what Paul is going to say is, no, no one gets a free pass. No one's got the golden ticket. No one has immunity because no one is righteous. So Paul is going to explain this to them in, in Romans chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 2. Uh, look at verse 17. If you would, I'm going to start reading there. Would you stand as I read uh, beginning in in chapter 2, verse 17, and I'll wrap up at the end of the chapter here. And as I read, Paul is having this conversation. He's imagining a Jew saying, that's great, but that doesn't apply to me. And listen to how he speaks to why they're saying that. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, You have become as though you had not been circumcised. 
If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code in circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. So we've got a people group in the church who are saying, that, that's great, Paul, all that stuff about condemnation, about you know, dark minds and uh, foolish ideas and judgment. Uh, thanks for preaching that. Well, that needs to be preached, but that doesn't apply to me. So let's just ask the question, why did the Jews think that they had immunity? Why did they think that they had a free pass on this? There's, there's three ways that this comes out in the text. The first one is this. They thought that they had a special relationship with God. You, you, you pick that up right away in, in, in chapter 2, verse 17. It says, you know, if, if you are a Jew, if you call yourself a Jew, and then you skip a phrase, there's, if you rely on the law, and then you brag about your relationship to God, you see, the Jew who was hearing this would be saying to Paul, Paul, you, you need to do some work here because here's the deal. We're, we're people of the covenant. Our father is Abraham. Remember our study in September where, where God called Abraham, he left his land, and he went to the, he took the promise, he believed in it, and he went to this, this, this land that was promised to him, and he believed the promise of, of receiving a family, and, uh, and, and God told Abraham that he was going to bless the nations through his offspring. And Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. And, and the Jew who is listening to the reading of this letter to the church in Rome would be saying, hey, look, you, you, don't, you need to understand something here, Paul. We're Jews. We're covenant people. I mean, God, told, God made an, uh, a covenant with Abraham and said, I will be your God. And then Moses, when he comes along, God makes a covenant with Moses and, and us, and he says, not only will I be your God, but you will be my people. And then when they're constructing the tabernacle in the wilderness, God extends the covenant and says, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell among you. And then in the Davidic covenant, where where God makes a covenant with David, he takes the people to a new level of intimacy and says that I will be your father, and you will be to me like a son or a daughter. See, we're, we're people of the covenant, Paul. In fact, that storyline, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell among you, that's the storyline that we use through all the scripture because you get to Revelation chapter 21 and when the writer of Revelation says about the new heavens and the new earth, he says, and at that time, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell among you. That's in the book of Revelation. That's the storyline. The Jew would have said, hey, wait a minute here, Paul. You've got to understand something. We've got this special relationship. We're a people of the covenant, and that stuff doesn't apply to us. Years ago, I played basketball on our team in high school, and we had this guy on our team who, um, who did things that if any, any, anybody else on the team had done them, uh, they would have either been benched or kicked off the team. You know, for example, we're at practice, and we're running lines at the end of practice, and it's hot, and it's humid, 
And uh, we're exhausted. This guy, uh, when he got tired, he would just go sit down whenever he wanted. He was a starter, but he would just go sit down uh, whenever he wanted. But the rest of us had to run. And if we didn't run, you know, we, our position on the team went, might be in jeopardy. In games, he would lose his temper. Or if he made a great, uh, great shot or did something impressive, he would then sort of prance down the court, hold his fingers up like this, and look at those of us who are sitting on the sidelines and, and sort of just saying to the whole crowd, look at me, look how good I am. And I can guarantee you, if any one of us had done that, we'd be benched. But this guy did it and he got away with it. Why? Because his dad was the coach. Some of you figured it out. His dad was the coach. And his dad let him get away with it. And it caused some problems on the team. And, uh, uh, and, and, and if we had done that, we would have been benched or, or we wouldn't have been able to play. But he got away with it because he thought to himself, I've got connections. I've got a special relationship. I can do what I want. And that's what the Jews were saying. Paul, you need to understand something. I've got connections. I've got a special relationship. I can do what I want here. I've got immunity. I've got a free pass. I've got the golden ticket. But Paul's going to say to them, no, you don't understand this. No one, nobody is righteous. But, but we have a special relationship. And the second thing they would say is that we have the law. We have the written code. We have God spoke to Moses and God gave him the law, gave him the standards of living. We know what is right. We know what is pleasing. We know uh, what God's will is because we possess Torah. We possess the law. In fact, because of that, we have rights and privileges. You pick this up in chapter 2, 17 and following. He, he says, we, we, uh, we're, we're light for people in darkness. We're a teacher of, of the foolish. We, we're a guide for the blind because we know it. Imagine coming back to the church in Rome after being expelled for five years, sitting in church and Reverend Gentile is speaking up there and the Jews sit in church going, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just tell you how it really went down, Okay. Because I'm a Jew, and I know, I'm a covenant person, I know all about the law, and you don't know what you're talking about. See, they thought that they were a light, they thought that they were teachers, but then Paul confronts them and says, yeah, if that's the case, then how come you aren't teaching yourself? You say, do not steal. Do you steal? You say, don't commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? In fact, Paul would make a pretty strong statement. He'd say, yeah, you are a chosen people. You're a covenant people. And God chose you to reflect his glory, bring honor to his name, positioned you perfectly to do that. But the reality of it is that God's name is blasphemed because of you. And that would not have gone over well in church. You ever had one of those days where you're at home and uh, the sun's out and the sun rays sort of just burst through the window and they, they hit the table or the counter or maybe you have wood floors, hit the wood floors and suddenly you see things like you haven't seen them before. You know what I'm talking about? You see dust everywhere and dirt everywhere. I know your house is not like that and, and well, my wife's not here but sometimes it is at our house and uh, it's just, it's clean. It's just that when the light comes in, you see things like they, they, they weren't like they weren't before. Then a cloud comes in and, it, and then you don't see it anymore, right? Then the cloud goes away and the sun comes through and the dirt and the dust is still there. 
I, I brought a, a flashlight from home, and uh, you can see things with a flashlight that you can't normally see. Like over here above this vent, if you look carefully, there are like dust bunnies all over the place up there. Uh, there's right there. And then if you turn off the light, um, you can't see them, right? Uh, and those of you on the other side of the room, it's more difficult to see, but shine again, they're still there. Now I can turn the flashlight off. Ah, it looks clean to me. Shine the light. There they are again. I can keep shining the light over and over again at it. The light will not clean the dust bunnies off the ceilings. <laughs> because that's not what light does. What does light do? Light exposes. The law exposes. The law makes us conscious of our sinfulness. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says in chapter 3 at the, at the end of this text in verse uh, 20. He says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. You see, you think you have the law, and you think by possessing the law that that solves your righteousness problem, but here's the deal. What the law does is it reveals to you, it makes you conscious of how you do not measure up to the law. Light will not clean. Light simply exposes. But the Jews thought they were immune. They thought they had a free pass. They thought they had the golden ticket because they got the special relationship. They've got the law. They're the teacher of the foolish. They can be a guide for the blind. And, and, and then the third thing that they would have said to Paul is that, um, that well, we, we've got the mark of circumcision. Now, circumcision is one of those awkward things to talk about in church. So I got some slides here that I wanted to... I'm just kidding, okay? I'm just kidding. Put down the encouragement card. Um, I'm just it, it, it's, it is a little bit awkward to talk about in church but let me just here's what, here's what circumcision is all about it is a mark a covenant mark um, that, that would remind you of who you are okay and so what Paul is saying is that, that you think you because you have this mark that you're in kind of like you, you got the past you're in the club uh, you, you paid your dues you're in uh, and so they thought that because they had the mark, the external mark of circumcision, they were in. But Paul tells them that circumcision has no value because what God is looking for is a circumcision of the heart or a transformation of the heart. The external mark was to remind them of who God wanted them to be on the inside. Are you tracking with me? And this is not a new idea that Paul is bringing to light here in Romans chapter 2 and 3. In fact, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, Deuteronomy is a book of, it's Moses' last sermon to the people before they go in the promised land. And so he speaks to them and he says, yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them and he chose you, there's the special relationship, he chose you, their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So right from the beginning, Circumcision was not about the external mark. It was about an external mark that would remind them 
of an inward reality God wanted to, to make happen. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, there's this listings of, of, of blessings and cursings, and, uh, and Moses is telling him that you know, if, you, if you disobey and you repent and you come back, this is what God, one of the blessings God will, will, will do is that the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. And then you get to Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4. Jeremiah says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, circumcise your hearts, you men of Judah and people of Jerusalem, or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. So this, this is not a new concept. This whole idea of the circumcision of the heart. Circumcision was, a, was an outward or an external mark that was to remind the people of who they were and remind them of what God wanted their heart to look like. It, it's, it's sort of like this. I'm, I'm married, and I, I wear a wedding ring. And the wedding ring is like a mark. It's a symbol that tells me and tells other people that I'm married. I'm married to my wife, Trina. Now, let's say I, I'm, I'm going to work and... Um, and I'm, I'm in a place of business, and uh, I got my ring on, and uh, it's it's break time, and I start flirting with a woman at work, or I, then I make a pass at another woman at lunchtime, or I say some inappropriate things uh, to to someone whose who's cubicles right across from mine. Um, I, I start I start behaving in a way that's inappropriate for a married man to behave, but I got my wedding ring on, right? So so I'm I'm okay because I'm married. No, the reality is, is that while I'm wearing a ring and it is an external mark that says I'm married, my heart is, is telling everyone that I'm an adulterer. Can you see what I'm, what I'm saying here? The, the, the outside mark says married, the heart, because out of the mouth speaks the fullness of the heart. The heart is saying, I'm not married, I'm an adulterer. And if you think that's too harsh, listen to the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew where he says, hey, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. And the Jewish people are saying, hey, wait a minute, we, we got a free pass, we got the golden ticket, we've got immunity, Paul, because we're, we're, we're a, a chosen people, we got a special relationship, we've got the law, we're the teacher of the foolish, we're a, a guide for the blind, and we've got the mark. We've got the mark that shows everyone where we belong to God. And Paul's going to say to them, no, nobody gets a free pass because no one is righteous. I have a friend who's an orchardist, and years ago, we were walking through his orchard, and I asked him the question, um, how do you keep those like those worms from burrowing their way into the apple? And um, what kind of spray do you use? What do you, what do you put on your trees to keep um, those those nice apples from being being ruined? And uh, he kind of chuckled and said, "Well, actually, that, that's not how it works. Um, worms don't bore their way uh, into an apple; they actually eat their way out. Um, because what happens is, in the spring, when the apple trees are blossoming." Um, and there's these insects flying around. There's a particular insect that will land on a blossom and will leave eggs on the blossom. And then when that blossom fades and the, and the petals fall to the ground, those eggs are in the core of that blossom, and that blossom then eventually turns to a bud fruit. That egg is in that little tiny bud of fruit. 
And as that bud of fruit begins to grow and that apple begins to, to, to get some size, that, that egg is on the inside. That egg of that insect is on the inside of that apple. And, uh, and then when the, when the fruit is, is uh, ripe enough and when the conditions are just right, that egg hatches and out comes that worm eating its way out of the apple. Makes you hungry, doesn't it? So here's the deal. Every one of us has been infected with sin. And under the right conditions, it hatches in us and it works its way out. Maybe it's working for someone that's difficult to work with. And you find you lose your temper. Or maybe it's at a game and the ump makes the wrong call and man, you just go into a rage. Or your mom and dad, they keep some uh, money in a drawer for, for something and uh, they're not around and the conditions are just right to slip in and slip out. Or you got your computer and no one's home and you can look at things that no one will know about. You see, under the right conditions, the worm makes its way out and no one is immune. Nobody. There's no immunity, there's no free pass, there's no, no golden ticket because no one is righteous. And here we stand in the courtroom and we get to verse 19 and 20 of chapter three and says all of the world stands silenced before a holy righteous God. We're all there, Jew, Gentile, male, female, Whatever our background is, we're all there and we're guilty. And God's wrath is directed at us. And you can kind of see the weather and the lightning bolts and the rain. And then you get to chapter 3, verse 21, and you read two words that allow some of the sunlight to break through and in. Two words that say, but now. But now. There is a righteousness that is available apart from the law. We'll get to the cloud breaks. But let's stand in that courtroom for a moment. And let's go from AD 55 to November of 2011 and ask ourselves some questions. Am I living my life as if I have immunity. As if all this stuff applies to other people, but not me. Am I, am I living my life in a way that says, you know what, I've got a special relationship with God. I can do what I want. I prayed a prayer sometime back there. I got my insurance. I can live however I want. Is that what it means to be a Christ follower? You think that praying a prayer and then living just like everyone else does is behaving or an attitude like everyone else does? That, that, is that what it means to be a Christ follower? Is that how you live in your life? Or are you living your life in a way where you're just feeding on the word of God? You've got it memorized. You've read it cover to cover. You're in Bible study. You never miss a Bible study. You, you know the word of God. 
But here's the deal. This won't clean you. It'll point you to the one who will clean you. Only the blood of Jesus will take away all the guilt and shame. Are you relying on your knowledge of God's word to save you? Or have you taken on all the external trappings of what it looks like to be a Christian? Got your fish on your car, got your radio station like Brian was talking about last week, got your Christian ringtones, you wear all the right clothes, you eat all the right food and drink all the right drinks. You, you, you do all, I mean, like, like when I heard I was growing up, uh, you, you don't dance, you don't chew, you don't date girls that do. I mean, you got it all sort of like, you know, <laughs> got it all down. Are, are you relying on behavior or external marks? Because that falls way short. I mean, how good is good enough? Because none of that stuff, none of that stuff will make up for the righteousness deficit that we all, every one of us has. And so we stand in the courtroom, guilty, because no one, nobody is righteous. But the weather's changing. And we're going to hear about how God looks at a people who are in desperate circumstances and says, but now.